You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Yosef Johnson. Yosef is Senior Vice President, Head of the Brand Shop at Group 9. We're going to chat about growing up as a Bulls fan and then getting to work on the iconic Jordan brand, his stint in investment banking right in the middle of the financial market collapse, and curating experiences with Pickle the Pig for Airbnb. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single episode. Now, please enjoy the show. Yosef, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's fun to have you here. Yeah, I'm excited to, uh, to chat. You are the Senior Vice President, Head of the Brand Shop at Group 9. That's correct. So what's the Brand Shop? Uh, so the Brand Shop is Group 9's uh, internal creative agency. Um, so Group 9 is a family of, of media brands, uh, and, and Brand Shop uh, does all the branded content across, across our brands. And Group 9 which is a relatively new concept last few years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you walk through how it started? I believe it started with Thrillist. Yeah, so it was <clears throat> so it was a, a collection. So basically what happened was um, at the end of 2016, um, you know, you had Thrillist, uh, which was started by Ben Lear. Um, and then you had Now This, which was actually started by his father, Ken Lear. Um, he had the Dodo, uh, which was started by his sister, Izzy. Uh, and so there was this kind of collection of brands um, that were kind of uh, technically within the same family, but also uh, shared uh, just similar views on audience. And, 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 um, and so uh, at the end of 2016, Discovery uh, made a, an investment to create Group 9 and bring those brands together. Um, as well as Seeker, which was formerly a part of, uh, of Discovery Digital. So that came into the family and, and was the fourth brand of, of Group 9. Yeah. Interesting that that's quite the family of media people. If you know, Yeah. I mean, that. they're all, I mean, I would say all, you know, kind of visionaries in their own uh, different respects. And what's interesting is I think <clears throat> they all started uh, very different uh, brands. Obviously, Thrillist, you know, food, travel, um, uh, Dodo, all animals, now this news. So very different passion points, but I think all recognized openings in the market uh, and and jumped in. Yeah. And more recently, another addition to the Group 9 family? Yeah. So uh, very excited uh, about it. But but Pop Sugar, um, uh, kind of at the end of, of last year, beginning of this year, uh, have, have officially joined the family. So they're the fifth brand uh, in, in Group 9. And um, yeah, they've been building that brand uh, for, for, I think, uh, about 13 or so years um, and have a, a great audience. So, again, really rounds out, I think, the Group 9 portfolio because it, it was a piece that um, Group 9 really didn't have. And yeah. that's being a more female-centric Yeah, publisher. so it's, it's fitness, it's beauty, it's lifestyle, uh, it's kind of all women's issues, empowerment. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's. Um, I think they also have a a great experiential business. They also do licensing. Um, so it was. I think as we were thinking about rounding out the different offerings of Group Nine, they brought a lot to the table that um, you know the other Group Nine brands were starting to get into, but they were really uh, uh, more firmly 
implanted in, in those areas. Cool. And we'll talk about how you came into Group 9, but I want to go a little bit further back. Uh, I don't know if when you were a kid you said, I'm going to be the head of a branded content studio. Um, I didn't. I, I grew up in Chicago, loved basketball, grew up, was fortunate to grow up in the, the golden era of the Bulls. So Michael Jordan uh, had, you know, as many sneakers as my parents would 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 buy. Um, and so, you know, I kind of grew up loving brands, but um, I, I had, didn't even know what branded content was. I don't even think it was a thing at, th at that point. So, uh, yeah, it took, took a, some twists and turns to get here. And are you still a Bulls fan? Yeah, always. Yeah. I mean, I've lived in New York uh, 13, or 13 years, but if, you know, Bulls are playing the, the Knicks or the Nets, I'm rooting for the Bulls. Yeah. So, yeah. I have a similar, I think when you grow up around a dynasty like that. So I grew up in Edmonton in Canada, mm -hmm, which was mm -hmm. Wayne Gretzky. Okay. Yeah. Right. right Wayne Gretzky was, yeah. And they won five cups and right. you just can't, you can't breathe that back out of yourself. No. Right. No. So Especially in those formative years. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So I, th I think no matter how long I live here or, or somewhere else, I mean, I'm always happy to, you know, I'll always root for the Knicks or the, you know, the Nets when they're playing someone else. But yeah. Yeah. Same, same with the Cubs. It is amazing the, the way that you're, you can be so impressed upon at that age. Mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I still play hockey right now and oh, wow. I became a defenseman because when I was maybe seven years old, Steve Smith, which was a defenseman for the Oilers, I, we used to watch the players come out. We'd go downstairs and watch them come out of the room to go for practice. Mm -hmm. And Steve Smith rolled a puck to me and he was a defenseman. And that rolling of that puck to this like seven-year-old kid I play defense now. Mm -hmm. I played defense for like 30 years <laughs> yeah, or 25 yeah, yeah. years since I was seven years old. Changed, decided I was going to be a defenseman at that age. Yeah. I don't know if I would have been a great, maybe I could have been a great forward. I never made the NHL. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that was like a defining still time, decision. Maybe. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about how your career started then. So did you get right into media? No, no, actually. So I, so I started in finance. So I, I went to Williams College uh, in Williamstown, Massachusetts. I was an econ and history major. <clears throat> um, you know, I think like all college kids, uh, you don't really know A, what you want to do slash what's really out there to do. And, um, you know, being an econ major, the, the consultants and the bankers kind of descend on campus recruiting and you're like, oh, I don't want to miss that boat. But, you know, I had actually at the time when I was probably a junior, <clears throat> I had been uh, I had read about Steve Stout. I remember reading in Rolling Stone, a Steve Stout article uh, that he was starting this agency translation. And I actually was like, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I always you know, I loved hip hop, love rap um, and seemed like a way to marry the worlds but it was he was super early and i'd actually i think i sent a blind email to them and they were just just getting off the ground and at the same time you know investment banking uh internships were you know uh being being well not offered but you could interview and so i did and and got an internship uh and then basically went back to my senior year with a job offer uh to be a full-time uh you know investment banking analyst so I joined J.P. Morgan um, out of undergrad uh, and, and got there right in time for the recession. So this was, you know, 07 to, to 09. Uh, I was in the financial sponsors group, so I, we were covering private equity clients. Um, and, you know, it was a, it, I really um, am grateful for the, for the time that I spent there and the experience. I think you learn 
how to work, you know, really hard and long uh, under fairly stressful, uh, in a fairly stressful environment. And so, and my Excel skills are still, uh, you know. Top notch. No, I don't know if they're top notch, but they get me by. Um, but yeah, so I, so I did investment banking and, and, you know, I think, again, it was stressful and crazy and coming out of college and seeing the markets crashing and Bear Stearns shutting down and Lehman. I mean, it was, you know, I don't know, I probably still have a little bit of PTSD from that, but, um, but I always knew that I wanted to be in a little bit more of a creative environment. And so as I was thinking about the next steps, I could have stayed there. I was, you know, looking at other private equity companies to, to join and I started to just try to learn more about different creative opportunities. Again, still not knowing exactly what it was. I knew about advertising, but not really. Uh, and so the more I was thinking about things, I, I was like, all right, I should learn a little bit about, about advertising. And so I started to think back, you know, to your point of like, what well, your formative years. And I was like, all right, well, if I'm gonna go work at a creative agency, I wanna go to a place that's doing great creative and the brands I care about. So what are some brands I care about? Oh, Jordan, Nike, uh, you know, ESPN, these brands that I grew up loving. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay, that's Wyden Kennedy. So I, I, I emailed, I, I think I just found the jobs email at, at Wyden Kennedy, New York, and I sent them like a cold, hey, I'm, you know, here's my story. And they, I quickly got a rejection email, you know, and it was canned. and. You know, it was like, yeah, we don't have any you know, jobs that meet your qualifications. Because your qualifications at this time are that you've been in investment banking. Analysis. Yeah, right. I'm sure they took a look at my resume. It said J.P. Morgan, internship at Lazard. Like, it was all finance. I was like, you know, I played basketball. You know, I had some other stuff on there that maybe, you know, spoke to other interests. But, um, yeah, they so so I got a rejection. And I was still at J.P. Morgan at the time. And, and um so I was like, well, let me, I just want to learn and let me just figure out another way to get in there maybe. And so at the time, Wyden and Kennedy had on their website, it was before they like refreshed their website. This was, you know, so this was 2010 or, or nine or so. Um, and they, they, on their website, um, different employees had their personal blogs or links out. So I kind of went through this. I remember going through and just clicking through to see if I could find a personal email. This was, I don't think LinkedIn, was, I don't, when did LinkedIn mm. launch? Maybe it wasn't quite as big. Yeah, so it wasn't like you could just kind of go, or maybe it was and I didn't know. But uh, So I found an email of, of a guy named Seth Gaffney who actually, uh, so he was a, a strategic planner at, uh, at Wyden. And he's now actually gone on. He started his own agency called Preacher in Austin, which I think is, is doing really well. But um, anyway, so he, I, I shot him a cold email and was like, look, full transparency, I got rejected. Here's why I'm interested. Would you love to just learn more? So he was, was nice enough to spend, you know, some time with me. So I went to the office. He kind of walked me through the different areas of advertising. There's the media agencies, there's creative, there's planning, there's, you know, and I was like account management. So I was like, okay, that helps me get, you know, a... a framework of the world. And so I didn't, I left not really expecting a ton from that conversation. But a few weeks later, uh, he emailed saying a spot had opened up on the ESPN account, junior Perfect. role, account management, which, you know, I think I was always really interested in the strategy component of, of advertising. But I was like, this is a great way in. I'll get in there, figure out what I like, and, and hopefully try to, uh, you know, make some moves. So uh, I started so so I went and interviewed with the ESPN team, and I, I like to say I weaseled my way in because the, they, you know, they were looking at me. I think I wore a suit 
to to my first interview there, and it's obviously wine and Kennedy. You don't wear like suits right. that often there, but uh, I was coming from banking, so I just I didn't. I, don't, I think I left the tie at home, but I still had a jacket. So they were like, "Why are you here?" Kind of thing. You know, you recognize you're not going to make as much money. This is not anything close to finance. Um, and again, I, I actually drew on my. I, for me, it was. I could tell a genuine story of what I was interested about because I truly was. And I talked about how even before I got into banking, I had been looking at brand strategy type of things just because that was what always appealed to me uh, even growing up. And, um, you know, I think they looked at me like, well, if you've done investment banking, you probably get the hang of the job. You know, you've probably been in you know stressful work environments, so you'll probably do OK. But I think it was me proving to them that I genuinely was interested um, and so I got the job, the opportunity to work on, on the ESPN account, which was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, my second job out of college. I was working on Sports Center commercials, going to Bristol with different, you know, it was, you know, the, the, the amazing scripts and just the process of the, that team and that franchise that they've built with ESPN and just, um, you know, the, the, the creative work that's gone into that. And, I, and then it was World Cup was the next thing I was working on. So that was, you know, that was South Africa, which was awesome. Um, the NBA on ESPN. So there was just a, you know, again, this is like a kid that grew up loving basketball and Michael Jordan, you know, it was kind of all of the things that you'd, you'd kind of dream of. And uh, so after ESPN, I moved over to the Jordan brand, um, which which was awesome. And, and, and that was a smaller team. So I was still in an account function, but got to wear a bit more of the strategy hat, which was where I was um, really interested in, in spending time. And then um, you know, so I, I was there for about two and a half, close to three years. And, and I think, again, it was an amazing experience. And it was obviously polar opposite of J.P. Morgan. And so I was just, as I was, I was starting to pick my head up a little bit, just thinking about, okay, this is awesome. And I'm really getting the hang of it. But I, maybe I miss a little of that, like, business setting. Again, I don't, didn't want to, I knew I didn't want to go back into um, um, banking or, or kind of corporate finance. But um I just I missed a little of maybe and I had maybe entrepreneurial ideas and things. So um, the opportunity uh, with now this came about through uh, a good friend of mine. Um, and and I knew, you know, Kenny was looking for, um, you know, somebody young to wear a bunch of hats and, and be part of the early team. And so uh, I interviewed with him, with with Eric Hippo when they were launching now this uh, and basically got the, got the opportunity to join now this, uh, you know, as, as one of the first employees. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is when now this, so we, we all know it now, we see it in the sure, feeds, right, but this right. was conceptually a completely different direction than a news site had ever gone. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting. When I met with Ken, he, I remember distinctly him saying, he's like, look, we're two years too early. But if we wait, we're going to miss it. So we got to get going. Uh, and, you know, and, and he was, I, I would say, from just kind of his finger on the pulse, it was spot on. Those first years, we were trying a ton of stuff. Uh, so you, you'd go out and say, oh, I'm working at now. They're like, now what? Now who? Where do you work? What is that? And his, th you know, the thesis was, again, that young people, and he was the you know, founder of Huffington Post. So he had done this um, type of thing before. But he had the vision to see like, that young people aren't watching late night TV or news. Um, they're spending increasingly more and more time on their phones and social. So we need to build a news brand that, that meets them where they are. 
And again, it was early. Um, it was before, definitely before Snapchat, before Instagram. Video on Facebook was 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 fairly new, and so in our first couple of years, we were trying a lot of stuff, super interesting, creative stuff. That the that the early team at Now This, a lot of those people have gone on to really run the the news programs at CNNs, uh, you know, different places that are now really leaned in on digital. But um, again, we were early, and so I think it wasn't until the explosion of video on social and and people really, you know, cutting their cords and, and spending all their time on their phones did the now this name and brand really become, you know, a bit of a household. And then even a few years later, when people were starting to know the name, I would still, and I'm still kind of to this day surprised when people know it, but like, oh yeah, now this, I love now this. And again, duh, because yeah, now this is everywhere. Celebrities share it, uh, politicians. I mean, it's really in the everyday conversation of, of, of culture. And so uh, it's really no surprise, but because I was there from the early days and remember um, having to always explain it to people, it's still you know a little bit of a shock when yeah, people know it. You remember it when it was nothing, right? right? right so you're right. always going to have this impression of it's this small thing that a few of us in a room started you know, putting together some news videos and posting yeah. them up on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, well, I mean, it's got amassed billions of views over time. So there's going to be some people that recognize it. I know I, I started seeing it in my feed. I would get it from my Facebook feed or Twitter feed, and then I would get it from late night TV. I'd watch Jimmy Fallon and they do that little bit at the beginning where he does his monologue, talks about the news. And it's two really weird places to be getting your news from because it's all tiny little bites. Right, right, right. right? You're not getting these full stories that come out. And I like this evolution of news. And I think now this uh, started it, this idea that, you know, each of the now this posts that I remember, used they, they just tell one story. Uh, sometimes there'd be several clips in a row that would cover the day's news. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm seeing, seeing this on podcasting with The Daily, mm -hmm. uh, where New York Times, I'll listen to that and I'll just get really deep. Uh, so rather than, you know, a six o'clock news where you're covering every single subject of right. the day over time, I like to be able to go really deep on just a few specific stories every day. Sure. Uh, and I found that just to, maybe it's a different way of consuming news. We're getting it from a lot of different places, but we're getting it in our feeds. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, which I think was the part that it was very ahead of its time, because like you said, there was no, you know, Instagram wasn't huge in a way that wasn't photos. Snapchat wasn't around. I mean, Twitter wasn't what it is now. Right. We really had just Facebook and the idea of because now this launched without a website. Yeah. Well, right. Exactly. That was the whole premise was you don't really need to follow us on a, a website because um, we're everywhere uh, you know in your pocket on your phone um, and yeah I mean even the uh, the text on screen format that's now everywhere I, I mean I remember or again early days of now this things still had VOs everything was voiceovered you know and and it we were kind of like oh wait people are going into their feeds with the sound off. So we need to create a way that people can still get the information without turning their sound on. And so that was when we, we, we launched in a format with text on screen. I'm, you know, I know BuzzFeed was obviously there uh, in that space as well, but, but I think if you really go back to the, 
to the to the early days and 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 look who was first. I mean, that was definitely a now this yeah pioneered thing. I can yeah. see now this taking you know that I do remember that being, and now it seems so natural. Like why sure. would you not? It seems right, almost right, right. common sense afterwards. Sure, it's the same as you know top down. Buzzfeed could probably take credit for hands and pants. Sure, because yeah, tasty, yeah, right. right? Of course, uh, like the listicle that yeah. was definitely you know a thing that they owned yeah yeah so someone comes up with this idea and they're like hey let's give this a try it turns out to be popular everybody does it and sometimes you forget that that was quite innovative sure at the time sure so you're in now this you're part of a small team yeah now this uh, group nine doesn't exist yet right. everything's still separate mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there's a family connection and sure. investment connection between them but they're not one entity and then how do you go from now this into your role at group nine yeah so when group nine formed um Obviously, we had to figure out what parts of the business get centralized, what stay uh, more independent, and obviously the editorial brands all remained, um, you know, their own, and and the central services across sales, marketing, um, obviously finance, legal, kind of all of those central functions got brought over to the Group 9 level, and so we had to figure out, obviously, now this had a team a small team that was doing branded video. Thrillist had a team that was doing some branded video, but a lot of branded written and, and photo. Uh, Dodo was a younger brand, so they hadn't really built out any of their branded offering. Uh, Seeker had a team uh, in San Francisco, and so we had to think about how do we bring this all together and find some efficiencies um, you know, a, a, across this team to have people working not only on single brands, but across the board and figure out how to bring best practices from the different brands to the other. So that was, you know, again, and, and this was the end of 2016. So we really spent 17 trying to figure out, again, it's four brands coming together, all of them different, uh, different stages in their life cycles. Um, but when brand shop was formed, so basically I moved over, uh, to the group nine level to, to run, uh, what is now Brand Shop, which is the centralized uh, creative shop within Group 9. Yeah. The brands themselves are really interesting. You have Dodo, which is massively popular. Yeah. Yeah. Most engaged with brand on social of any category. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's it's really great content. It's also animals. Sure. Right? Yeah. Right. Uh, My sister-in-law i she shares them all the time right? yeah, yeah big animal advocate mm-hmm. uh it's a really interesting way to share your own you know belief system or mm-hmm. or passion around animals because uh you find you know people post on facebook and it doesn't matter whether you're you know into pets or mindfulness or whatever your thing is politics mm-hmm. when you're posting from yourself and that can get you know it can start to sure drag on people a bit right sure sure but you share a piece of Dodo content. It's just a great piece of content. It says what mm-hmm. what you want to say, just in a very like polished, emotional, empathetic yeah. fashion. I think it's a really interesting way that people are able to, you know, disseminate their own beliefs to a, a larger audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was the big, that was a big thesis uh, that the Dodo had was really that animals. Maybe if you think about, I don't know, five, ten years ago, like. Maybe animals were considered somewhat of a niche thing, but with the explosion of social, and to your point, people um, kind of showing off their lives and their um, kind of beliefs and passions, uh, animals, pets are a huge part of that. And, and I think 
the dodo has really proven, obviously, if anyone thought for a second that animals were like a niche category, that they're not in any way niche and, and super mainstream and, and part of our lives and families. And, and I think we're seeing that, obviously, the editorial side and the audience that they've built, but also on the advertiser side, I think brands or advertisers that um, might have looked at a, a pet or an animal um, brand as like, how do I fit in if, if I'm not an endemic food you know, or you know, pet food or something like that? But you see auto and you see, um, you know, technology and, and, and all of these brands that want to associate with the Dodo because they understand that, that it's really central to our identities. Yeah, definitely. I, I see commonalities between people no matter like what walk of life you're from, what industry you're yeah. from, you'll find people can connect on food a lot of times. Sure. They can connect on like music and entertainment. They can connect if they have kids, there's the commonality. And mm -hmm. if they have pets, there's a lot of commonality yeah. between there. So it's this interesting, you know, thing that ties us together. Yeah. And I would say, especially in these polarizing times, uh, I think everyone appreciates um, stories that, again, right, show and the commonality and, and what brings us together and brings joy versus division. So yeah. Yeah. there's not that many Republican or Democratic pets. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. No, we don't be, think a so. beagle kind of crosses yeah, the exactly. aisle. Yeah, exactly. There's some that yeah. maybe moderate. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. So let's talk about Brand Shop and, yeah. you know, the content that you're creating mm -hmm. for brands. So you have these, you have these endemic brands. You have Thrillist, mm -hmm. Dodo, and Seeker, and now Pop Sugar. Uh, how are you bringing brands into that mix yeah yeah so i everything we're doing on from you know a branded uh side is is really trying to stay true to the dna of our our group nine brands and so what we're looking at is you know what are the types of stories that each of our brands and, and i think in the the lexicon like when we say brands some people think advertisers but when i'm saying brands i'm saying our group nine editorial brands and then referring to the advertisers the advertisers but um you know we're looking at the types of stories that really resonate with our audience from an editorial standpoint like what is our what are our audiences coming to us every day to consume um so if it's now this and it's social justice it's the dodo um you know animal welfare thrillist right the best places to to eat drink travel um those are the things that people come to us every day for so as an you know when we're talking to advertisers we're like look we have a built-in audience that is spending uh you know millions of hours with us on a you know monthly basis um if you want to kind of connect with our audience you really need to speak the same language um versus trying to just come in and you know jam a brand message through so how can we find uh, that alignment and tell a story that is uh, important to you as an advertiser and your product and your your mission uh, but also is is true to 
to, to our brand. So I like to think of it as brand shop always having two clients. We have obviously the advertiser who's coming to us and trusting us to, to tell their story, but we really have to be, you know, good stewards of our own brands and, and make sure that we're not creating stuff that looks crazy on a pop sugar feed, right? Like we want uh, the audience to feel like, okay, we're not, you know, we're always, you know, tagging everything and, and letting people know it's an advertisement, but um, we don't want our audience to be like, what is this thing that's showing up here? This feels totally foreign to us. Yeah. So we're always trying to find that balance. Well, I would say as much as you disclose it, which of course you're going to do, you're going to say this is from the advertiser sure. to a regular person. It's just more content coming from the Dodo, yeah, right? Whether right. it came from an advertiser, they know what brand this is coming from or mm-hmm. what, what publication this is coming from. And everything that they see is going to inform their impression of the Dodo, sure, whether it's exactly. from an advertiser or not. Yep. So if that alignment isn't there. And I would also say the advertiser, what they're primarily buying from you is this you know, connection to this audience Definitely. around a topic that maybe they don't have the credibility sure. of, maybe they don't have the expertise in. Right. So I think that alignment is really important. I've noticed a big change in the last you know, five or six years from it being, hey, we just need to do like the checkbox. Like remember when everyone had to put mobile on, on mm-hmm. a plan, right? right? Sure, so, right, right, and right. content marketing became one of those things too. And I've started to see a lot more close alignments with editorial. And mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, you're starting to see ROI come from sure. those alignments that are really tight. Let's talk about a specific campaign. Uh, I want to talk about a campaign that you did with Airbnb and yeah. Dodo. Yeah. So maybe you can, you know, paint us a picture of that yeah, campaign. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a super interesting one. Um, so Airbnb, uh, kind of at the end of last year, um, they were they launched. Um, so obviously everyone knows Airbnb for you can rent properties. Um, they also have experiences that you can book, and um, that's something that they've been really trying to promote. And within experiences, there's different types of experiences you can book. You can book extreme travel. You, you know, there's um, a bunch of different stuff. But one of the categories that they wanted to lean into was animal experiences. And so I think they looked at the landscape of okay, if we're trying to launch, um, you know, these experiences to animal lovers and 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 this community of people, where where are those people? And obviously the Dodo um, is a very, you know, trusted brand amongst people that they would, you know, want to book these experiences. So we worked with them to create a, a campaign, but really a partnership um, that's, that's uh, hits on a, a number of buckets. So one is uh, we actually created um, our own Dodo uh, and Airbnb experiences. So these are ones that we looked at our data uh, and, and some of the uh, different stories that had resonated. So, you know, um, kind of celebrity pets and animals and different things. And we created experiences around them that you could actually book on Airbnb. And then we created content to promote uh, those experiences. So um, obviously there's a media component, um, there's brand awareness, but at the end of the day, we're also trying to drive bookings. Um, and so then in addition to the Dodo experiences that we created, we also promoted uh, other experiences that you could book through Airbnb that were animal experiences that the Dodo, um, you know, kind of recommended. And so, um, again, you, you have this uh, campaign or, or, again, partnership that is moves beyond just a media buy. It is really how do we create upper funnel awareness and then how do we actually drive uh, a meaningful business outcome for Airbnb. So uh, it's an ongoing partnership um, and it's been great and there's a lot of learning and, and um, on both sides, and 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 uh, we're looking at, at ways to evolve it, and 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 um, it's been it's been great. So in these experiences that you're creating, so yeah. you 
you have these animals that have become celebrities in their own right. Sure. Right? Because the audience is really into them. Mm -hmm. And you create experiences that now are available on Airbnb as an experience. Exactly. So the yeah. public can go book them. Um, there's all types yeah. of uh, wild things that, that, you know, you might not imagine you can do with animals. But um, again, and, and I think the other thing that was really important uh, for Airbnb was, you know, they take, um, you know, just kind of... Uh, um, treatment of animals and, and very seriously as does the dodo and so there's a very rigorous process around these experiences and and um, obviously nothing that endangers animals it, it really is um, for people who 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 uh, really take animal welfare seriously so, yeah it's yeah. an interesting partnership because you can think of it also as you know for the airbnb consumer it's as if the dodo has come in and partnered with Airbnb in a way and provided new experiences for Airbnb members. Yeah. Right. And then vice versa, you're giving the Dodo viewers and audience this access to, you know, curated Airbnb things that match their needs. It's a really interesting combination of two brands. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, to your earlier question about how we work with brands and, and try that's, you know, when we can find that type of alignment, it doesn't even feel like sure it's in partnership with a with a quote unquote advertiser, but actually it's in partnership with like another business that's like minded that we really respect and and again that's the types of partnerships that we love or just there's nothing is forced in it at all. Yeah, yeah. And tell me about Brand Shop Originals. Yeah, so Brand Shop Originals uh, is is a little division within Brand Shop that we've we've started, and really it's a it's a way to just create, um, you know mid or longer form content that brands can be a part of. And so um, it's it's really something that was born out of, um, you know, a number of folks on the team, our head of video, Ralph Arend, who um, has a lot of really great ideas and, and some other folks that, uh, you know, we kind of have ideas that we'll pitch to brands, um, you know, they may or may not buy them, but we think are really cool and we should, um, you know, pilot them and, and, and figure out ways to um, bring them to life. And so we've got a little bank of pilots that we're um, you know, bringing out to the world and, and our sales team um, can bring them out. And then we're also you know, in conversations with, with folks to, to get some creative structures to, to get them made. That's cool. So it's almost like you have these pilots that are, you know, some, I bet they're still spec, right? They're yeah. ideas. Yeah. And then if you, I mean, it's, it's like if you're doing an independent film and you're looking for funding. Right? Exactly. So it's like you yeah. shop it around a bit and see if there's a good alignment with a brand and then you build from there. Yeah. And I think that, you know, with with branded content content, the, the lines are all getting blurred. Right. You have advertisers who want to, you know, we've we've worked with with advertisers that want to create original shows that we can then go sell to a network. Right. It's not, I think, the boundaries of what branded content can be. It's definitely expanded. And so um, at the end of the day, I think people really want to see great content. There's no shortage of content. So, you know, you don't want to just be throwing stuff into mm -hmm. the void. But I think if, if um, you know, the content is good and compelling, there, there's, you know, oftentimes a home for it. Yeah. So. And now you've been, I know your background in investment banking probably doesn't come into the future of media quite as much. But, <laughs> but starting out at new, now this, I mean, sure. that's, the, that's the beginning of a type of distribution of content uh, that was very new at the time and continues to, to make a mark. What do you see as the future of media? Let's even just look. I'm not going to do a 20-year thing. Let's look sure. over the next like few years. What does media look like? I mean, there's there's just the democratization of of um, 
content between all of these platforms. It's almost, I mean, in terms of media, it's like what even, right? I would say in the past, you know, 10 years plus, but, but really historically you think about media brands as these outfits that have big backing, but then you go look at this proliferation of, of influencers who essentially are little media brands themselves and then are, are growing into, you, know, you look at like a Jerry Media who's, right, and um, just an article um, today in the New York Times about the, some of the work they've been doing with the Bloomberg campaign. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's really, there's, there no, there's no one to tell anyone no, and, and there's really no boundaries. So if you're a really clever kid uh, on TikTok, right now like you're amassing a huge following uh and then you can go turn that into a megaphone to to you know advertisers obviously working directly with a lot of these these young kids so um i, I just think it's you know it's definitely fragmented but it's really it's every and ev you know any and everywhere really is it, you know media is is present and advertisers you know, I think that it's a challenge. It's like, where do I spend my dollars, right? Like, obviously, measurement and ROI is going to be a challenge. But you look at some of these Instagram accounts that will partner with a with a with an advertiser, and you go look in the you look at the well, I guess Instagram turned off the the views, but you go look in the comments and you look at the engagement, and it's real. I mean, you know, and again, it's there's ways to go in terms of measurement. I think that's really the piece across digital that until the measurement can really catch up to maybe where TV is and some of the uh, more mature methods, that's when you're maybe going to see the, the real influx. But again, the tide is shifting. So I think um, it's hard to keep up with, with, I mean, you know, again, like look at TikTok right now, but we all remember Vine. Yeah. And I think a lot of people feel like, well, you know, how are they going to take it to the next chapter? I think Snapchat showed that they were this young, hip, on you know had their finger on the pulse and they've turned it into a to a real business and so i think there's going to be continue to be new comers platforms uh people that turn their you know individual brands into bigger brands and um yeah there's no shortage of places that advertisers can can uh you know try to find uh roi yeah i mean what excites me about branded content is as these new social platforms like let's say TikTok, they're not being created around this idea of a banner ad like you right. most of the like facebook doesn't have banner ads and sure, twitter sure. doesn't have banner ads and instagram doesn't have banner ads so you have this machine mm -hmm. of advertising which was kind of built around and is still being built around these programmatic display pipes sure sure but everything that's being built is around content distribution mm -hmm. and even just boosting organic posts and this idea like everything is going to look and feel the same mm. and you move into streaming and even if streaming isn't ad supported peacock will be but other ones aren't sure brands are getting into there as well right mm -hmm. and publishers are getting into there producing content sure, for netflix sure. so it's this really interesting time and uh i just believe if you're creating interesting stories whether it's for a brand or for a publisher or as an influencer that's going to follow its way through all of these channels and people are going to find them if they need to yeah definitely and i think you know the other area outside of even content but i think even taking the definition of content maybe a little more broadly i think you're also seeing you know, the question for media companies is, okay, how do I turn my, this huge audience that I have into other revenue streams? And yeah. that's obviously something that everyone's talking about and, and we're super focused on it at Group 9 and, you know, a number of other folks in the, um, uh, the media landscape have done a great job of, of taking, you know, great 
programming and turning it into actual physical products that people can buy. Um, you know, obviously the, the work that, that complex has done with, with hot ones and mm -hmm. then a hot sauce, like that's, you know, a great case study and how do you actually extend the IP beyond just, you know, content that people can, uh, consume. So, yeah. 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 It's a fun time and fun time in media and branded content. Yeah. Yeah. So before I let you go, we, uh, we do a book club, we do a movie club at Pressboard, and I'm always looking for recommendations. So wondering if you have a favorite book or favorite movie you recommend. Um, I get, I mean, my wife will, will be embarrassed because she says I don't read enough and she is right. Um, so I, a book is not coming to mind as quickly as it should. Um, but I would go with a movie. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's an old an oldie but a goodie. Thomas Crown Affair is one that I is one that anytime it's on, I'll watch it. So yeah, I've watched that one. I'll throw that. It in used the... to be on TV all the time. You know, when yeah, you just right. Watch that's it right. over yeah, and over yeah, again. Yeah, right, right. I love that one. That yeah. is a great. That's a great choice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Yosef, I appreciate having you on the show. Yeah, it's thanks for having great. me. Great. I'm glad that you didn't go into investment banking, or else we probably <laughs> wouldn't be talking right now. So uh, congrats on all the success, and we're really looking forward to seeing what Group 9 and you will do next. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single one. See you next time.